0: Jesus is speaking to his disciples, John 14 from verse 23, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me he will obey my teaching, my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching, these words you hear are not my own, they belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus said, uh, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Father, we pray as we reflect on your word that you will graciously change our minds and thinking so that we are able to walk in the way that you call us to walk. We confess to you that we most of the time spend our efforts trying to get you to agree with us. We try to get the peace that is circumstantial. And Lord, again and again, life tends to show us that without you, uh, we cannot survive. We cannot have that peace. We cannot have life. And so we ask a very gracious God, a very patient God, to please teach us this morning something more of what it means to follow you. And to know the life that you offer those whom you love, which is us, on your terms and in your time. And to that end we pray, in the name of Jesus, who made it possible that we could have hope. Amen. So, we're going to spend some time talking and thinking about... uh, Last week I talked about... What did I talk about? I talked about um, a long obedience in the same direction. And was talking about the big picture and, and, and saying, I don't know about you, but it's very easy to spend a lot of time trying to second-guess God and and people start saying, well, I believe in God because He gave me a parking place and, uh, you know, God delivered my paper this morning on time and therefore He's prevented suffering in my life. Um, And and we get very, very small-minded. And when you read the Bible and you start reading these accounts of people in the Scriptures, you know, over three or four thousand years, you see an agenda that is much bigger than the individual. And so we thought last week about what is it like to live in a self-conscious awareness of being part of a big picture. Which is a novel idea in a self-centered western world where, you know, God is whatever you want him to be so that he can meet your needs and you can do whatever you like and bow to no one. I mean, that's what we wrestle with. And it seems that God has another idea which says... You know the Creator is the one who has the wisdom. The created is the one that enters into what the Creator fashioned. And so we're going to think about Joshua and think about the people as they went out of Egypt from slavery into the Promised Land or started that journey, because the Bible is a multi-level document. The Bible is a multi-level word from God. That's why it is a living word. It's not just a historical novel. It's not just a, a, a historical fiction. Uh, It recounts actual uh, things that happened, and then it recounts also interpretations of why those things happened. And so you read the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, you read the the Old Testament almost like a template, a template of how God works in life, and Jesus comes along into that template and just fulfills it. So when you read the Old Testament, you you always read the Old Testament saying, "How how did Jesus speak into this now? But those... Uh, patterns that are laid down in the Old Testament hold true through Jesus and to this present time and Joshua and the whole freeing of the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and bringing them to the promised land is an incredible template of principles of how God works, of principles of how God leads and of principles about how screwed up human beings are and how hard we are, how hard we find it to follow God no matter what he does So that should be encouraging. It means in your worst moment you have company, and in your best moment God is still faithful. So Joshua was born into slavery. Joshua was Moses' assistant for many, many years. And he was born into slavery. He was born into slavery in Egypt. And I want to just do a background of Joshua very briefly this morning. And then I uh, almost come up to the Promised Land and then we'll do that next week. But uh, just think of the, the context of what Joshua experienced as he was prepared for leadership. And understand that he started his life as, a, as the oldest son of a man called Nun and they were slaves in Egypt. And for 450 years they'd been in slavery in Egypt. And we joked last week about the Dutch, you know, they came to Canada and th- how long ago was that? 100 years ago? Not even that, right? Well, imagine being there for, for 450 years. And the, the people of Israel were there as slaves in Egypt for 450 years and their cry was always, Uh, God, please set us free from the slavery. Please set us free from this place that we cannot be free from ourselves. We don't have the weapons, we don't have the power, we don't have anything under Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They're far more sophisticated than we are. And the first note, if we look from the Old Testament to the New Testament and back again, is that the place where Joshua found himself, the place where he was born, was a place of slavery where he could not escape himself. And we are, all of us, born into a place where we cannot come to God on our own terms. And so Joshua knew what it was like for God to begin to start answering the prayers of their cry for freedom. And God, you remember, sent Moses, who was a very reluctant leader. Moses was out in exile in the burning bush, you remember, appeared and Moses went to look. And God said, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. And he went, goodness me, what's happening? He's 80 years old. He's out to pension. He's pasturing with the goats and the sheep. He thinks it's over. He spent 40 years in the palace, 40 years in the desert and he thinks his life is a waste of time. He thinks what might have been and nothing happened for a long, long, long time. For those of us who are still waiting for something to happen, don't give up. 80 years old, the bush burns and, and God says, oh, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Pharaoh, the guy that you're terrified of and that you ran away from. You're going back there. And he says, no way. And God's got a way of saying, Uh-huh. So he waits him out. And Moses starts making excuses. I'm old, I I, I, I can't speak, I I stutter and I'm nervous. God was really impressed with that. He said, I know. But I will do in you what you can't do if you actually start. You just trust me. I'll give you your brother Aaron because you, you don't have enough faith to do it on your own. Off you go. And so off he goes. He gives him a few practice runs like putting his arm in his sleeve and coming out looking like leprosy. He shows him some power and Moses decides he'd better do what he's told. I'm going to suggest many times this morning one of the reasons why we're so casual with God and one of the reasons why we're so lukewarm and one of the reasons why we don't follow with greater passion is we haven't encountered the power of God. And so we still think he's just kind of an extra option in our lives. And the the God that revealed himself in Egypt was a God who was powerful. And Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And and Pharaoh said, no, and so God said, okay, let's start. And they began to show his power over the land. The rivers turning to blood, the frogs and the gnats and the flies and all that stuff. And then the last one... Is I uh, kill a, kill a lamb, and paint the door frames of the house with blood, and go inside that house, you and your family, and no one will die, but the firstborn of every home where that blood is not over the door of the, lintel, the, the, the door frame will die, and you will let my people go. And that was a foretaste of Jesus going to the cross. and Joshua was the oldest son his father hadn't done it, he wouldn't have lived. He was saved by grace, the blood of the Lamb. The power of God swept over that land. And the people of Israel the next day were free. As I've said before, they were in the same place, the same house, the same street, the same dog barking next door, the same everything. Except now God said, you are free, now go. Do you know where Jesus' cross is placed in this story? It's right there. When you say yes to Jesus and become a Christian in the cliché terms, it is in Egypt that you become a Christian. You come out of slavery in Egypt. And many, 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 many and many churches are built in Egypt. You celebrate the Passover, you celebrate that we weren't killed, you celebrate that God has chosen us, and we camp in Egypt. But God set the people free from slavery in Egypt by challenging and overcoming Pharaoh and the power of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh eventually said, They can go. And then he said to his people, Now go. You have been set free for a reason, now move. And many of us do not know more of the power of God in our lives because we just think that was the deal. All God did was send his son to die on a cross for my sin. When my sin is confessed every day and and forgiven, that is it. I don't think so. There's much, much more adventure. There's much, much more. But the big issue which is always difficult to talk about in in this kind of grouping because it's always so offensive is that God is about getting our wills submitted to His. And it's a tough call, isn't it? It's a lifelong journey. So, Joshua is born in slavery and then the Passover happens and I'm just going through this, I hope, quickly. And he's he's basically... uh, experienced I don't know how old he was, experienced what it means for his people. He will remember Egypt, and then he remembers starting to move out of Egypt into the desert, towards the Red Sea. And he saw God's power at work, both in tackling Pharaoh, and if you've lived in a country where you've had somebody like Pharaoh, you know what that's like. I mean, I know in South Africa what it was like to have an oppressive regime for the first 20 years of my life. And you never think it's going to topple, you never think it's going to go away. And intimidation is powerful, and police forces are powerful, and insidious stuff is powerful. And that can be the same kind of thing over our lives. We can have things in our lives that we cannot see our way through, we can have things in our lives that we cannot see how we're going to get out of it. And the story of Joshua and the story of God's power is God can set anybody free of anything. But he does it. And those people who were set free had to listen to God. Those people who said, well, I'm not going to kill a lamb and I I don't believe this stuff, died. They didn't go. The firstborn was killed. Because God is the giver of life and is able to take life away if he's got a bigger picture that's going on. And so God is, there's a part of God that we need to fear. And that is the judgment of God and the will of God that says, I will do what I will do. Why? Because God's bigger picture is always one driven by love. And at some points he will He will deal with disobedience in order to have the bigger picture fulfilled, because he will have his way. And so God, Joshua experiences that being set free from slavery. And being set free was the beginning of another journey. In some ways, slavery is very secure. Because you know what you're doing, you're being told what to do, you're being told how to think, you're being told where to work, you're being told everything. There's a huge security in slavery. Do any counseling and you'll find that there's there's a tremendous security in our dysfunctions. If I can identify myself as a victim of abuse, if I can identify myself with an addiction, if I can identify myself with something, I suddenly am not responsible anymore. Slavery in our lives is, is huge. And the security of our dysfunction is huge. And much of our lives are spent enabling each other to continue to live as slaves. Because there is a, a line in the sand where we go, do you, Jesus said it all the time to people, he said, do you want to be free or don't you? And if you do, then you're going to have to do something. It's also why we need one another, we're going to come to that in a minute. But there's this very strong, powerful work of God in these people. And these millions of people start moving out of Egypt, but they have to move. They have to leave where they've been secure in their slavery, and they have to move out, and they don't know where they're going, other than they've been told there's a promised land. And Joshua goes with them. And they go into the, they go, they come to the Red Sea, and they see, what they see is the sea, and they see Pharaoh and his guys right behind them. They see the thing that he was trying to get free from threatening them again, and that's a clue for all of us. Sometimes when we're just before really getting a victory in our lives or a victory in our circumstances, it will look like we're just about to be defeated again. And we're going to have to keep our eyes on where we're going and the promises of God. That's why we also need other people. And so we come to the, they came to the Red Sea and Moses uh, parted that Red Sea. And the people went through onto dry land, on dry land, into, uh, into the desert and began to follow that journey. And they saw the power of God at work and then they grumbled because they didn't have food. They didn't have this and they didn't have that. And they said, we'd rather be back in slavery. If you read through these passages in Exodus, it's amazing. Please, Lord, set us free. Within three minutes, it's, where's the food? Don't like this place. You remember we used to have meat and and fruit and vegetables in our slavery. Slavery looks quite attractive right now. It's a frightening indictment on the human being. And one minute we want God, the next minute we go, no, I want my slavery, no, I want God, no, I want my slavery, no, I want God. It's an ongoing dance. And Joshua was part of that and he saw God supplying. He saw God supplying with manna from heaven to feed them. He saw, And God said, go out and fetch it. Actually, if you go through all of these ones, every single time it's, I will supply, go and gather. What does that mean? It means sitting here in rows listening is actually not how God works with us. God is not actually that interested in getting to our heads because our heads don't get us to do very much. So he continually says, this is a, this is a walk together, it's a journey. I'm going to supply and you're going to have to step in and get it. And then he says, you're going to have to get it for today and, then you, and don't get too much because if you get too much, it'll rot. So they, some, you read the account and they go out to get manna to feed them and some go out and gather too much. And the too much you know, gets destroyed with maggots. And then they get tired of that and they say, we want meat as well. So he gives them quails to eat. And then they don't like the water because the water is sort of sulfury, so he gives them water to drink. And what is he doing? Between the time of saying yes to God and being set free and getting to the promised land, God is doing something with them. And he will do it with you and me. No exceptions. And that is, he'll spend some time with us and say, are you going to follow me on my terms or not? Are you going to listen to me? Are you going to trust me? And I'm going to give you opportunities to learn that. And where are the opportunities to learn to trust God? They're in the desert. They're in the places where what I naturally rely on is not there anymore. I hate the lessons like that. But that's the only way to say, well, I thought you said you trusted. And Joshua was formed in this kind of culture. He was formed in this kind of culture of slavery and then dependence upon God in trust. By seeing God miraculously provide for their needs. <coughs> the first appearance of Joshua is in Exodus 17 where we actually hear from him or hear about him. And it's an interesting uh, an account. In, in Exodus 17, the, uh, the people of Israel have been led by Moses into the wilderness and... Uh, it's interesting, he says to Moses earlier on, he says, walk ahead of the people. That's part of what leadership needs to do. You need to walk ahead of those you're leading so that they, they, uh, th- that they have somewhere to go and they, they see where they're meant to go, which means leaders have to experience that faith before other people do. That's why it's really easy to be a leader and just talk theory and just do, you know, I can just speak to you now and that's it. So one of the things I do think the Lord's leading and laying on my heart and laying on us is I'm not sure how these services should end anymore because I think I should actually speak for response every time. That's what's beginning to stir in me. Which is, what does that mean? That just means that God is always looking for opportunities to, to encourage us, to, to get us to respond to him. I'll talk about that a bit later. Don't get nervous. It's a wonderful opportunity. <laughs> we, are, we, we are so stuck in listening to what I say or somebody else says and then go off and evaluate. That wasn't a bad sermon. I didn't mind the music. And it's actually about, what well, God is actually saying something to you. He's actually saying, where's your heart this morning? He's actually saying, oh, "Are you going to follow me. He said, I really couldn't care about your crit- criticism of it. God's actually opening his word in the worship to us. He says, I'm critiquing you, by the way. I didn't ask you to come here and and, and sit and and spectate about how I'm doing. This is an actual opportunity for the living God to speak and say, I want you to follow me and, and I want you to come on my terms. Now it's very easy to say, well I don't like the way John spoke and his tone of voice, you know. You can do that for a long time and die in the wilderness. Or you can extend grace to poor guys like me and go, Lord what are you saying anyway? Because you're the one who's also wanting grace just as much as I am. It's called humility. And Joshua learned that. You know how long Joshua spent not in the limelight? At least 40 years. At least 40 years walking alongside Moses. Why? Because God is building character. He's building character deep down inside and says, I want that faith to be rock solid. I want you to be a man of integrity, I want you to be a man who knows who I am. And so look at this in, in, in Ezekiel 17, they go, uh, they, they, they have the Amalekites coming to attack Israel and Moses says to Joshua, choose some of our men, I like that, he's not a control freak, he says you choose some men and he knows he's going to choose good men because his life depends on it, so you know, it makes sense. Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And then we have this battle going on below Moses. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Whenever he lowered his hands, the Israelites were losing. Then Moses', Moses hands got tired, so the two guys next to him put, put rocks, he sat down and they held up his hands. And they won that battle. And Joshua walked off saying, pretty cool, look what I did. He could have done that. But God was wise to human beings and he says, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. What does he want Joshua to know? He wants Joshua to know... You fought the fight and I gave you the victory. And don't ever forget it. You'll fight that same fight and if my hands aren't raised you'll be dead. We're going to talk quite a lot about the glory of God. Do you know what the glory of God is? The glory of God is His presence. But the glory of God in our lives is when we live in a self-awareness that without Him I am nothing. And that doesn't trivialize me into being an insipid little rug it It's... it causes me to go, thank you so much, Lord, that you are one on whom I can depend. Thank you that when I fight your battles, you will be there because Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father praying. Many of us are broken because we're we fighting battles. God has never asked us to fight and we're totally disregarding the fact that we need others around us to help us find victory. That in every single battle, every single area of your life, every single place where you are looking for something that is meaningful, God has a Moses and has other people there saying they will pray and you do. We are in a culture where everything is private, everything is personal, and everything is on my terms. And therefore we are bankrupt. And it shows. It shows in our lives, it shows in our relationships it shows in the way we fight each other all the time. It shows how quickly we're offended. It shows how quickly we disengage. We're a very immature bunch most of the time. And it's because we live in this self-centered world. And Joshua is in this place where he saw firsthand, I need Moses, he needs me, Moses needs the guys around him, and I need the people who are fighting with me. We need one another under the guidance of a living God. That's very cool. That's why we're meeting this week every day. We're meeting this week every day to say, Lord, we want that. And I confess this. Yes, I'm independent. Yes, I want to do my own thing. Yes, I'm a much better Christian when I'm on my own and I don't have to engage with anybody else. Because I look quite cool to myself at that point. I'm really loving until it's tested. It's in the culture of relationship that my incompleteness is revealed. My need for God is revealed. And Joshua was learning that. He was learning that it was totally dependent upon God in order for there to be uh, victory and and meaning in his life that was beyond his own strength. Interdependence was huge. And so Exodus 33, very quickly, uh, there was this place, this is the secret to Moses' life and the secret to to, uh, Joshua's life. Moses, Moses, Exodus 33 verse 7. Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Moses was actually the leader over the whole group of people that had come out of Israel, over a million people. His father-in-law had told him, you need some help and all the rest of it. So Moses was one of those guys who could have said, I'm pretty busy. I don't have time. But he knew that his life depended on God, so he... He reckoned that time was worthwhile. Very simple question to all of us. How much time do you give God? And if I'm God and I look and say, thanks very much for squeezing me in on your busy agenda, in your, in your fruitful life. Moses and Joshua spent days and days and days in the tent of meeting where the presence of God was. Because there's a secret If you spend time in worship And you spend time in God's presence The stuff you need to do Begins to unfold And actually The the people who are most open to the presence of God Often appear to be the the least flustered Because it's easier to Jesus was like that And he was a busy man He had quite a high profile Quite a lot to do But he said, I only do what my Father tells me to do. And if you look at the Bible, it's interesting. I was just checking this out this morning, actually. I mean, look at it. That's Jesus, and that's the Old Testament. This is the Son of God, and this is all the other stuff. And Jesus said, well, me and my Father, we're very economic. We work well, quickly, and efficiently. So we just do what we need to do. And we just hang out with people for the rest of the time. Because we have time over. How busy are you? What are you doing? If do you want the life of God in you, how much time do you spend with him? And so in Exodus, I've just lost the place now, in Exodus 33, there's this, there's this account of, of Moses having this tent of meeting. And he went, used to go there and the people used to watch him go and they'd see the glory of the Lord, the cloud of the Lord upon that place. And then Moses would come back and, the, and it says there that and, and his young assistant Joshua would stay in the tent. Joshua spent a long, long time learning what it meant to be in the presence of God. And what it means to be in the presence of God is being open to his spirit, open to his word. And it was out of those things, his relationship with, with, uh, his relationship with Moses, it was out of his experience of God looking after him, both from Egypt and slavery, through the desert, in the battles, And finally to the promised land. It was out of all these experiences of God's presence, power, provision that Joshua became one of the two who, when they went to look at the promised land and they went to say, What's in this promised land that God's giving us? He came back and said, Let's go. We trust God with what is there. You see, the promised land, when they arrived at the promised land, didn't look what they thought it would look like, it wasn't club med. It wasn't a cruise ship in the Caribbean. It was a beautiful land with milk and honey, but there were other people in it. And these other people scared him. And so they said, well, this isn't what we had in mind. And so they decided not to go. And we'll talk about this next week. And so they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And God said, all of those adults who said, no, you will die in the wilderness and your children will go into what I have prepared for you. I set you free from slavery for this, but you didn't have the courage or the faith to walk into it. And I've told you before, my experience of that, of being in the wilderness, and there was a window where God said, go through it. And I was desperate at that point, because I'd already done my own bitching and complaining for seven years. And I was terrified of being stuck there. And it was absolutely clear, go. And that was the Graham Cook Conference we were talking about. That was three years ago. And at that, that conference, God said to me through him, He said, I will accelerate things that have been lost. I absolutely know I would not be here without God. So do you. you know that I wouldn't be here. <laughs> but what about you? What about you? Where's God speaking into your life? I mean, I'm talking about loving you to death, to the death of Jesus on the resurrection. But where do, Where are you? A few principles as we wrap this up. It's in a word called more. We say to God, I want more, M-O-R-E, okay? I think as I was reflecting on, Lord, how does this this, uh, hit us? How does this apply? And the first thing that came up for me was uh, movement. But God called and he met the people in their slavery in Egypt and he led them through desert and wilderness and he led them to the promised land. They had to move. They had to move from a place to a place. And from that place to a place, they had to follow somebody who they had to learn to trust. So they journeyed. And they journeyed to gather food and provision. They journeyed to explore land. They, they journeyed together following a leader. They have journeyed together. I said before, it's really interesting coming back into a place after ten years and seeing some of the same tunes being played. Our independence is killing us. Our attitudes kill us. And God is not interested in your life on your own in isolation. He really isn't. He loves you to death, but He's not interested. You're part of a bigger picture. The answers to many of our prayers, I absolutely... I don't know if you can bet this in the name of Jesus, but... It sounds. <laughs> the answers to many of our prayers and our issues are sitting next to us and around us. People in our lives have a wisdom over our lives that we need to listen to. It's God. What we do is we shoot the messengers all the time. And I could illustrate this many times, but it gets personal, so it's not politically acceptable. But you can see it. And so God's saying, yes, 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 and we're going, not them, not them, not now, not how, no. And what do we do? We join the people who went to scout the promised land and 10 out of the 12 came back and said, nah, the giants are too big, we feel like grasshoppers now. Nah. So he said, okay, stay in the desert. So that's what they did. What amazes me about Joshua is he hung out with these grumbling people for 40 years in the desert when he could have gone off. And then eventually he did go. Because God said, it's more important for me for all of you to go together than just for Joshua and Caleb to go with their little bunch. Movement is huge. Uh, You are being built together like living stones. Alright, I've got to move now too. Uh, Movement... God is wanting to move you. He wants you to get up and move somewhere. That's part of why I believe part of what we're going to do as a church is start trying to say, Lord, we need more movement. Like, get up, come be prayed for. Get up, do something. It's very cool, actually. Obedience is the other one. M is for movement, O is for obedience. Openness and obedient. God says, go, do it. Meditate on His Word. He says, I want to set you free. I am setting you free. Now move. Move into it. The R is relationship. Relationship with God and relationships with one another. Relationship with God, most importantly, in the tent of meeting, which is the place of worship. The place where you glorify God. What we do is we say, Lord, I bless you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I bless you that you, nothing in this world can separate me from you. What happens when I do that? I begin to realize that God is great and I am not, and... I'm his kid and he is strong and I am not and he is faithful while I am weak. And in the process of speaking truth to me and to God, my spirit starts going, hey, that's not so bad then. And I learn how to sleep in the storms. I learn how to receive the peace that Jesus said is mine. If I waste time in worship, I will make time in life. It's called relationship with him. And I do that with one another. Again, this thing of, I'll download the iPod and I'll do it on my own, doesn't cut it with God. Because hugging an iPod doesn't give you life. And living with earplugs doesn't open you to the Spirit of God. We need one another. It's hugely important. It's one of the tribal things that is, is profound. And the last one is encounter. The first one is movement. God will always be moving us. We're always moving. Get up on your feet and move. Obedience. Follow me, Jesus said. Follow me, follow me. How are you following? What are you following? What's God doing for you right now? The R is relationship. How are the relationships around you? How are your relationships with God? Just pay attention to them and celebrate them and start getting rid of some of the unforgiveness and the issues and the attitudes that sit in our lives day after day, year after year, week, month after month. They kill us. We ask God to do stuff, we're dragging around unforgiveness. There's lots around this church, in this community. You know it and I know it. And the more we start laying that to rest, the more we'll see the release of God happening. There's no question about it. Don't hold on to it if you don't have to. And ask God to help you. I mean, that's why he does. And the the, the last one is encounter, experience empower. It's about knowing God's presence and God's power. And I know it's nobody else but him. And Joshua experienced that profoundly, and that's why he trusted when it really mattered. How do you know the power of God and the presence of God? You know it in, in worship, and you also know it in letting people pray with you and you being prayed for. And us, actually, we should be spending 25 minutes, 30 minutes, hours praying. I want to actually say to everybody, including myself, for this week, when we go there uh, this week, and we, particularly in the evenings, I'm going to say, everybody, 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 make sure, plead with that in the last half hour you get prayed with. We want to develop a culture where every, every week I'm saying, absolutely please pray for me, lay hands on me and pray for me, I need it. I would rather be empowered by God's Spirit so I don't get sick than have to come and pray for, sick, for being healed. And I look around and I could call each one of you up and say, so I could give you five reasons to be prayed for this morning. Why wait for a crisis? What, the, what about that issue in your life that you're struggling with? Come before the Lord and say, Lord, I just ask you to, to, to reach into me and help. There's no shame in it. It's common sense. It's like watering the plants. You don't see the plants go, oh, please don't water me, we don't like the but need do going to be ridiculous. We want to be the most humble people on earth that always says, Lord, I am an empty vessel. You are God. Please, pray for me. Please, for my healing. Please, for everything. How liberating. And Joshua would know that too. The empowering of God. So we've got a whole week set aside to listen to the Lord. We've got a whole life set aside. Have an expectancy that God is much more willing to bless us than we are to reach out. And he, there's no one here, present right now, who He doesn't have all kinds of things that he wants to move on us and in us and through us. That's good news, brothers and sisters. The only thing that's getting hammered is your pride. The only thing that's getting hammered is your pride and to hell with that, right? (laughs) Thank you. One person (laughs) agrees. It's only pride. It's all it is, pride. And you know how you spell pride? With I at the center. What do we do now? Stand. let's stand and just ask the Lord You know, ask the Lord what he's saying to you I mean I've said enough and I've said probably too much and got in the way so let his spirit take something out of all of this and make it real for you and we're going to sing two songs which are just going to again the songs are The songs are a way of providing a space for us to come before the Lord. There are two parts to this. I'm going to suggest that, uh, Lord, I just pray that you will take something out of what has been said and thought about this morning and apply it into our hearts in some way that causes us to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, I, I really want you to understand. I have no need to manipulate. Twenty-five years ago, I'd be insecure and want to manipulate and make sure somebody did something. I don't care anymore. In the sense of, there's no pressure here. It's merely opportunities. And it's, so there are two parts to this. The one is is listening to the Lord and just saying, Lord, here I am, and I receive this and that. And the other is, if you if you need if you want prayer, if you if you want to humble yourself and say, I need to ask for prayer then go to the back any time between when we start singing and the end of the service because it's coming to the end of the service anyway and get people to pray for you and just you don't have to do counselling it's not about counselling it's just about saying Lord here I am you know if you don't even know him you can say Lord here I am I don't know you but I'd like to help if you're sick Lord I'm sick please heal me if I need faith Lord help me I don't know you know you get the drift no no Yes? Yes. Good. Father, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to, to just continue to work among us. So that your words uh, have impact in our lives. And that we're encouraged that the living God loves us so much that he's come into the Egypt of our lives. And he said, let's be free. My son has paid for your sin. So there's no sin in your life that I can't forgive. And there's nothing in your life that is so bad or so weak or so destroyed that I can't heal. The only thing that's going to make the difference is that I keep company with you and you keep company with me. And that is your decision. I have already decided that you're worthwhile. I have already decided that I love you more than you've ever experienced. I've already done something about that. But I can't make you come to me. And I already pour out my Spirit, so I give you right now the power you need to live your life today in whatever level you need it, physically, emotionally, spiritually, circumstantially. All the power is here for you. So all I'm going to do now is say, receive it. And some of you will have feelings and others of you won't experience anything in a feeling level, so you come to the promise. So Lord, we pray as we sing that you will just minister the truth of these words. And we bless what you're doing and what you will do, because you love to do this stuff. You love to make your word real. They finish it.